um, I, I think you probably know by now, I hope you do, uh, that our message today has to deal with hope. And this first Sunday of Advent, and uh, we are doing a uh, Nazarene, <laughs> Church of the Nazarene series, and uh, so I, I have, need my PowerPoint up on the back there. It's not up right now. It's not up here either. Okay, it'll come. Um, and, and so it's just kind of neat today to realize, let Earth Receiver King, uh, this concept today that as we're doing this, thank you guys, as we're doing this, other Nazarenes around the globe and has even been translated into other languages, that they're celebrating this with us. And together, we're studying together, and, and of course, with the church triumphant, all the church, we're looking at hope today. And, and that's kind of exciting. That's the nice thing about these seasonal things that we do together. This Advent is a time where we as the church globally, every uh, tribe, every language, we're all talking about hope today and looking at the fact of hope. And are the messengers of hope in a hopeless world. You know, a while back they did a study about Canada and about the struggles of the church and the churches and growing and the different things that they were saying. And they were saying most Canadians are quite content. But the one thing, we've talked about this before, the one thing that Canadians do not have is hope. And so one of the greatest messages that the church has, and especially this first Sunday of Advent, is this message of hope. That we can bring hope into hopeless situations. I was reminiscing, you know, I've got some decorations up, earliest I've ever put them up, but uh, haven't sat down and listened to this song yet, but you know that song, I'll Be Home for Christmas, and, and often it's sung at Christmas time, and guess who sang it? Some of the young people will say, who? Bing Crosby. Uh, Big, Bing Crosby actually recorded it in 1943. And uh, quite a popular song. Uh, and you know that line, don't you? I'll be home for Christmas, even if only in my dreams. It, it was around wartime. And so there was a lot of people that weren't able to be home. There were a lot of loved ones that weren't able to come home for Christmas. And that song really was played and understood about the fact that I'll be home for Christmas if only in my dreams. And that's a reality for a lot of us this year, isn't it? Or others in our family uh, aren't able to come and we'll be singing that song. And today our passage, which we heard read by Alan, is this passage from Isaiah 64, verses 1 to 9. If you want to turn in your Bibles to that, Isaiah 64, 1 to 9. And by the way, the pew Bibles aren't there because we're not allowed to leave them here, so you need to bring your own Bible to church. Not such a bad thing. <laughs> I remember those days when we first got saved and we had the big Thompson chain Bible, you know the big one, when you went into the Christian bookstore, this has nothing to do with the sermon. You had to buy the biggest one, right? It wasn't the little Bibles that you could fit in your pocket. We had big ones, and you put it under your arm, and you walked in church with your big Bible. And so we just want to challenge you that bring your Bibles on Sunday so that you can open up and read. Uh, our passage today in Isaiah is a time when Judah had lived far from home. They're in exile. And I just want to open with a word of prayer. Lord, we pray today now as we open your word in this passage of Isaiah that still speaks today to our hearts and lives, 
we pray that you would help us to understand what you're wanting to say to us today. We're praying that you'd help us to understand the hope that we have, that we would go forth from this place today, experiencing your hope and sharing your hope with others, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. They were wanting to come home. They were in exile, they were far from God, and they were wanting to come home. And then the truth of it is today, exile is not just the story of Judah and Israel. We also have experienced exile. All of creation has experienced exile. How do we know that? Just go back to the first chapter, the first two chapters of the Lord's Bible book, and we can realize that there was a land, and we know it's called as a garden, and everybody was in harmony with God and God's purposes. Sin, however, entered in and fractured humankind's relationship with God, fractured their relationship with each other and with the land. And they were evicted, exiled from that beautiful place. And the truth today is Adam and Eve represent all of creation that are exiled from God, longing to come home, far from God. Far from home. Paul puts it this way in Romans 8, just a few verses. We could read even more. And and starting at verse 22, we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship and the redemption of of our bodies. We're longing for home. And so today we look at this reality as we go through Advent together. Let earth receive her king. Who will lead us out of this exile? We know who it is. His name is Jesus. And this is what we celebrate at Advent as the church, the one who has brought us home, home with God, home with each other, home with his creation. It's Jesus. He is the king, the prophet, the savior, who has come to redeem all of creation, to lead us out of exile, to lead us home. And if you are in Christ Jesus, if you have accepted Christ as your personal Lord and savior, the exile is over. Ultimately, you are home. You're already a part of this new creation, this new world, this new heaven and this new earth that God is creating and making again. And we celebrate this long expected redemption that has arrived, let earth receive her king. But we've talked about this. We are stuck in the already and the not yet. We are already a part of his creation. We have already become new creatures in Christ. There is something going on in me that is changing me and transforming me and getting me ready for that day. And so we fast and we pray And we wait for that day, that glorious day, when our king will come and reign and bring us into his kingdom once and for all. Let her earth receive her king. But what happens when the road ahead of us is filled with loss? As many will experience this Advent, 
stress weighing down our shoulders, anxiety at an all-time high, mental illness at an all-time high, loneliness, isolation, when confident expectation for tomorrow dwindles. What can you do? How can you walk in hope when you feel hopeless? When the Christmas 2020 will be different for most of us, for our loved ones. When it will be harder in some ways than Christmases that we've experienced for a long while. So I have a question for you this morning. Is your heart filled with hope? Do you have a confident expectation in what God is going to do? What God's going to do tomorrow and the week after that? and the month after that, and in the new year, 2021. You know, our confidence today is in a person, and we know his name. His name is Jesus. Let earth receive her king. Our passage today, the first thing we see is lament. Not a word we talk about a lot. Lamenting. Complaining. That's a word we kind of know. Have any complaining going on lately? Oh, just turn on the news. <laughs> Have your Twitter account in different places. There's a lot of complaining. Just go to the bakery. Just go to Timmy's down in O'Leary. Any complaining going on? Oh, yes. You all guys are being so innocent today, looking at me with those innocent eyes. Our passage today in Isaiah is from a time of great loss, as we said. So, so they're exiled, they're away from home, they've been waiting and longing, and now they finally get to go home. And when they go home, it's a shambles. It's rubble. It's all disarray. Their expectations, it's nothing like they expected. They had heard about Jerusalem's glory days. They had heard about Israel's glory days and how beautiful and how wonderful it was. And they couldn't wait to go. And when they got there, there was nothing left. It was all gone. It all had to be rebuilt. It was a mess. And so there was terrible disappointment. And in that disappointment, we see that all of a sudden Isaiah begins to prophesy in this situation, and he starts with a lament, complaining. And you see that in verses 1 to 4. We sang about the heavens coming down, and I don't know why this keeps jumping ahead on me. There we go. We see that the heavens are coming down. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. That the mountains would tremble before you as when fire sets twigs ablaze and causes water to boil. Come down to make your name known to your enemies and cause the nations to quake before you. For when you did awesome things that we did not expect, you came down and the mountains trembled before you. Since ancient times, no one has heard, no ear has perceived, no I has seen any God besides you who acts on behalf of those who wait for him. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. Oh, that you would tear. Remember that two weeks ago? And the fabric, the ripping, the tearing. Here it is again. Oh, God, that you would tear wide open the heavens and come down. 
And so we see that they're pleading for God to show up. They're pleading for God to scatter their enemies. They're pleading for God's presence. I can tell you something that I know from experience that I can pretty well face a lot of things if I know he's with me. There are times in my life, difficult times, when the presence of God has showed up so real it was tangible. It's, it's something you can't explain. It's something I couldn't even really put into words, but he has showed up. I mean, there's times in worship where I feel his presence and I feel that he is there. He's as close as the mention of his name. But there are those times when you least expect him to show up. The darkest days, I have felt his presence. And so here is Israel. Here are the people of God. Uh, They are crying out, God, would you show up? Would you show up with your presence? Maybe that's something we need to be praying for this Advent. They need a freedom from their fear. You have fears this Advent? They long for a time to see God's glory. I long for those days to see his glory. We pray for revival. What is revival? That we see God's glory. That's revival. God shows up. God rends the heavens and comes down. And we can't explain what's happening. That's revival, my friends. And I long for those days. We need God to show up. No amens. God help us. I don't think the mask can prevent you from saying amen. It's a dangerous prayer. God, show up in 2020. Advent 2020. Do you know what's nice about this? That it shows us we can complain. Now, I know there's complainers and whiners. And I've shared this before. One of our children, we've got him a t-shirt that said, Why whine when you can shine? Because he was our whiner. And that was our statement. Maybe we need to say that to a few people we know. Well, hello there. Why whine while you can shine? (laughs) Go down the bakery and Timmy's and start that phrase and see how well that goes over. (laughs) You know, there's a difference. But there is a genuine lamenting that we can bring before the Lord. We can bring our frustrations to the Lord. We can bring how we've been let down. We can bring when our lives seem to be in shambles, when things aren't going the way that we think they should go, when we're not happy. We're not happy the way Christmas 2020 is turning out. We can bring it to the Lord. That's what this passage tells us. That's what we see time and time again in God's word. That's where the Psalms, we see many Psalms is crying out to God and not liking what's happening. We can do that. That's what's beautiful about this passage. We're called, the Lord doesn't turn us away because we're lamenting. And and the why, the first thing we see here is the why. Why God? How many times have we said that? How many times do we hear that? How many times do we hear that next to a casket? Why, God? I don't understand. I prayed. I I didn't expect this. I didn't see this coming. Why, God? Why so young? Why so tragically? Why, God? There's a place for whys with God. You don't have to be turned away because you're asking why. You're bringing your questions to the Lord. That's the key. 
And so he asks why. And then in the midst of that confusion, it's that question and asking God, would you show up? Would you show up in my mess? Would you show up in my frustrations? Would you show up in my heart and life and my family and the struggles we're going through? Would you show up? Draw near God. And then he remembers how God worked in the past. Sometimes when we're going through difficult times, we just need to remember God was there. Oh, and God was there. And God showed up there. And God was there. And if God's been there and there and there and there, then God can show up right here. And then we see that you move from lament, though, to confession. And so it's this place that as they look at the rubble of their lives, when everything is, is a mess, they turned away from God's purposes. It was them who turned away. God never turns from us, people. We turn away from God. And so this is why the people now are coming, Isaiah on their behalf, is confessing. They are confessing that they have turned to God from God, that they bow down to idols. They were disobedient. And, and I think it's important for us to realize that, you know, sometimes when we do the wise, we want to blame God for everything. And the truth of it is that often no one's at fault, and other times we are at fault or people are at fault. Because we have turned away from God. We stepped away from his blessing. I, I love the parable of the prodigal son for that reason. As long as the prodigal son was in the father's house, he had the father's blessing and the father's provision. But one morning he got up and he said, give me what is mine, I'm out of here. And he left the father's protection and provision and blessing. The father didn't remove it. He walked away from it. And I think that's what we're seeing in this passage, and that's what happens to a lot of us in our lives if we're not careful. A little slumber, a little sleep, and we wake up one morning far from God. And so we see in this situation that they need to confess that they are in their particular mess because they were disobedient and walked away from God. They say in verses 5 to 7, you come to help you come to the help of those who gladly do right, who remember your ways, but when we continue to sin against them, you were angry. How then can we be saved? All of us have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We all shrivel up like a leaf, and like the wind, our sins sweep us away. No one calls on your name or strives to lay hold of you, for you have hidden your face from us and have given us over to our sins. As they petition God to draw close, and for God to show up, and for God to reveal his power, it now shifts to confession. It now shifts to the fact that they have sin in their lives. It now shifts to the fact that no one has grabbed hold of God. No one calls upon his name. Oh, my friends, if this was a passage in some ways that could be said over the church and over the world in the midst of a pandemic, are we calling upon the name of the Lord? 
I would think at times like this, our church would be full with people for prayer. Pastor, I want to come and I just want to sit, as Pastor Mike said, and I want to sit in the sanctuary. Would that be okay? I want to intercede. I want to pray. I want to see the Lord show up in Advent 2020. The Lord show up in the middle of a pandemic. But the truth of it is, I think we're fair to say, at least in the church in Canada, we've seen the opposite. No one is calling upon his name. Oh, I know you do in your private prayers. But there's something powerful when we pray together. When we agree on earth, therefore it shall be in heaven. And I can't say amen to your prayers or you say amen to mine unless we're praying together and conversing. Man, that would be a wonderful problem to have. How do we do prayer meeting? How do we get people together? I'd say amen to it. We'll find a way. And so we see in this that they confess. And one of the beauties of this is that they've been honest. We come before the Lord in humility and honesty. Our sins, our righteous acts, everything we've tried to do on our own is like filthy rags. We're unclean. Now, here is the key why I brought up about prayer and coming together in prayer. This is a communal confession. We know there's a place for individual confession. But this is a communal confession. How do we know that? Look at verse 5. We continued in sin. Uh, verse 6, all of us, no one, in verse 7. There, there is this reality of this prayer, this place of confession, is a corporate place of confession. Do you know that Isaiah also says about Jesus, what? That he was numbered with the transgressors. He who was out sin took on our sin. He, he who <laughs> stepped in and was numbered with those that didn't deserve it, didn't have their lives together, didn't do the right things, and yet he stepped in and he was numbered with them that he might redeem them. There comes a place for us as the church of Jesus Christ where we corporately confess together, where we are numbered with the transgressors, where we begin to intercede and say, well, Lord, maybe this isn't an issue in my life, but there is definitely an issue of alcoholism on the island, and I pray in Jesus' name that you would set the alcoholics free. We could start to name the sins in West Prince, we could stand and name our issues in the church or the church of Jesus Christ. We could talk about Prince Edward Island. There comes a place in prayer where we are interceding, where we are confessing, where we come humbly before God and honestly before God and ask for his forgiveness. That's when revival breaks out, my friend. That's if you look in historically Wherever revival has hit, there's always been a prayer movement before, a mighty prayer movement of God, and a place where we stand in the gap, and we are numbered with the transgressors, and we confess our own individual sin, but we confess the sins of the people. We ask for God to show up and God to forgive. Then, praise God, we've got the lamenting, the complaining, We've got the confession and corporate confession, and then we come to this glorious hope. Isn't it good that God doesn't leave us there? That we come to this place of glorious hope, and that's our whole point of doing what we've done so far this morning to get to this point. 
There is hope. When you come to verse 8 in this passage, there is this pause. Apparently, in the original language, there's a pause there. We're in a mess. <laughs> our city, our town is in a mess. We, your people, God, are in a mess. Uh, we have sinned and fallen short. God, we're in a mess. Our righteousness are like filthy rags. Oh, can anyone save us? And then there's a pause. And then there is this glorious word, yet. Yet. I want you to hear that word today, yet. When you're looking at Advent 2020, when you're looking at this Christmas and all the struggles and how different it's going to be and how different it's going to be for your family, and if it isn't, praise the Lord, you've got to give God praise. I hope you hear that word, yet. Yet I will praise him. Yet, he is worthy of my praise. Yet you, Lord, are our Father. We are the clay and you are the potter. We are all the work of your hand. Glimmers of hope always show up. No matter what you're going through, what's happening, it will show up. There is a shift that happens in this text. It is like somebody flips on a light in the midst of a dark room. A switch is flipped. All of a sudden, we begin to see that God is still our Father, and He is the potter, and we are the clay. Now, here's the point this morning. Their circumstances haven't changed. Some fairies didn't show up in the middle of the night and build the wall and build the city. <laughs> they had a lot of hard work still ahead of them. The enemies were coming all around. There were people going to mock them. It was going to be a mess. They had to look over their shoulder as they had to put this pieces back together. And the truth of it is the new temple that they would build would never have the glory of the previous one. Their situation didn't change. What changed? Their focus. What changed was what they were looking at. They forgot to look at all the mess. They forgot to look at all the situation, the rubble, the disaster. They got their eyes off that, and they got their eyes on him. I believe that's a powerful statement for Advent 2020. You need to get your eyes off the television <laughs> and all the news reports and when the vaccine's going to show up, and when it's not going to show up, and how are we going to pay for this, and how's that going to be done, and, you know, we do have to have concern, and we do want to be praying for all of that, but right now, the church has had their eyes too much on that, and we need to get our eyes back on Jesus this Advent. Oh, when you do, situations you leave this church will be the same, most likely, <laughs> unless he intervenes and does something miraculous, which he can, some of that's not going to change, but he can change us. He can help us to be people of hope. He can help us to be messengers of hope in a hopeless world. Oh, you know that chorus. We've sung it many times. We sung it and we didn't even sometimes realize the emphasis of it. But if we start singing it again now, maybe it would just burn in our hearts. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. What's the next line? And the things of earth will grow dim, strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Well, my friends, let earth receive her king. 
hope is on its way. Get your eyes off despair and chaos and focus back as God is our Father. This is what Isaiah says here. He's our Father and we are His children. He has not left us nor forsaken us. COVID-19 was not a surprise to Him. (laughs) And it isn't still now. He is able. And so He is that master builder who is crafting a new creation, who is getting us ready for our glorious, blessed hope that we are waiting for. Even when the world around us is in rubble, we know where we're going. I know who I am and whose I am because of Him. God is the potter. Turn to somebody and say today, God's not finished with me. Praise God. God's not finished with any of us. He's not finished with us. He hasn't left us. He's not finished. He is the potter and we are the clay. And he is molding us and making us into what he wants us to be. And that doesn't stop when you turn 23 or 42. (laughs) So there's still hope. There's hope for me to be better and changed. And I thought you'd say amen. And, And a better wife and a better mother and a better pastor. There's hope. There's hope for you because he's the potter. We're the clay, and he's making us into something beautiful for his glory, a vessel to be used for his glory. There is hope this Advent, first Advent 2020, because God is. God is our Father. He's always been our Father. He will continue to be our Father, and we are his family, his children, if we have relationship with him through Jesus Christ. He loves me like any father loves his children. He loves me despite my failings, despite my sins, despite my past, despite my garbage, even despite my stinking attitude sometimes. He still loves me. He loves you. God is that potter who's making me and molding me into something better for his glory who hasn't given up on me, who hasn't thrown me. You know, I've said this often in women's uh, ministries and places, God does not have a reject pile, hallelujah. It's not like the potter takes us and throws us away. (laughs) He makes us, he's still working on us, he hasn't given up on us. And we are God's people. Say that to somebody next to you today. We are God's people. Oh, come on, we can do better than that. We are God's people. Do you know that's your identity? That's your identity. That's important for us to know. That's my identity. As I just said, whom I am and whose I am. That is now my identity. My identity is found in Christ, in God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And I want to tell you today, there is a lot of people struggling with anxiety, a lot of people struggling with mental illness, and part of it is people do not know what their identity is. They're struggling to find themselves. And I want to say today, I didn't find myself, I found him. That's where I find my identity, is in him, and it changed my life. We are God's people. And whether he takes us home yet or we've got to wait a while, (laughs) we are always God's people. As I bring this to a close, 
What are the places in your life this Advent that seems hopeless? What would you like God to do? Tell him. Tell him how you're feeling and your frustrations and tell him what you would like him to do. And then wait in trust and hope for God to move. Psalm 33, 20 says, We wait in hope for the Lord. He is our help and shield. We are still his people, the sheep of his pasture. He is not going to leave us nor forsake us now. Let's continue to confess those things in our own personal lives that we can draw near to God, but let's also corporately confess those things that we have seen in recent days in our lives, in our community. Just let's continue together corporately, say amen to each other's prayers as we enter in, and let the hope of God fill us to the uttermost, especially in these days when others are looking for someone to give them hope. I put up this song because I've shared before, many of you know my testimony, some of you don't, and I just share this very quickly at the end, thinking about him being the potter and us being the clay. We're going to ask the worship team to come. My life came to a point where it was in ruins. Uh, It was broken. I was broken. I, I need you to leave that slide up, please, for that song. Um, I was broken, I was in a mess, Uh, I didn't know, as I said, I didn't have a true identity, I didn't feel loved, though people told me they loved me, I was in a real mess. So much so that I tried to commit suicide twice. I am standing here today because of the grace of God. Solely because of that. That God intervened, and by His grace, He changed me and transformed me. And knowing my identity in Christ made all the difference. And I want to say to you, I go through difficult days, I go through blue days, but that is the last thing that ever crosses my mind now. Because God has set me free from that. And I believe that he wants to set other people free from that. And so let's pray. That's a corporate prayer, to pray together as a church, that God would help those that are feeling broken and so broken that they're suicidal. We need to be praying for them. We need to be bringing hope into their hopeless situation. But that's where I was. I was broken. Many of you would say, Pastor, I know what you're talking about. Some of you would say, I don't, Pastor. And I say, praise the Lord that you don't. But I got to a place where life wasn't worth living The first time I was in my teens, second time uh, I was later in my teens, and I shared often when Pastor Mike and I were married and had everything that you were supposed to have and two children at that time, it was the first thought I thought of in the morning and the last thought I thought of at night was how I could take my life. That's what my life was filled with. I went to a doctor and the doctor said, oh, that's okay, dear, just go get your hair done. That'll make you feel better. When I finally opened up my heart to one person, her, my family doctor, that was her response. So we understand the importance of ministry like Pastor Sheila and others, hearing people, listening to them, and speaking life into death and darkness. And so in the midst of that, I came to faith in 1984. And you know this chorus. This became kind of my song. I sang it everywhere. 
And I still sing it. Sometimes, I don't know if Pastor Mike hears me, but it might be in the shower. It might be when I'm trying to get some makeup on and the tears will start to flow. <laughs> but it, it, it is a powerful message, my message. And I believe it's a message of hope this Christmas that no matter what ruin, no matter what disasters, no matter what complaining and frustration, God wants to make something beautiful out of our lives. God's wanting to show up. God is wanting to come and take even the rough parts right now and mold it and make it into something beautiful for his glory. And say the words with me, something beautiful, something good. All my confusion he understood. All I had to offer him was brokenness and strife, but he made something beautiful out of my life. And I believe that story is repeated over and over and over again to his glory. Oh, your circumstances might not change. This might be a difficult Christmas for some. Get your eyes on him, and he can make something beautiful. That's what my prayer is this Advent, that he'll make something beautiful out of it despite everything else. Would you stand to your feet, and we're going to sing this beautiful song, and then I'll close in prayer.